All right, so if you read your, your Bible much, if ever, in the New Testament, especially in the books about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll run across this phrase, the kingdom of God. Uh, in the book of Matthew, it just interchanges the word, the kingdom of heaven, uh, which we can explain some other time. But one of the things that gets confusing when people read kingdom of heaven, they think, oh, Jesus is talking about that place that you go when you die, when he's not actually talking about that. He's talking about the kingdom of God, which is a reality that we can live in now. Later this year, we're going to enter into that in some depth, but because the story we're going to read from the scripture today has to do with that, I just want to give us a very simple, probably oversimplified way of thinking of the kingdom of God. When you think of the kingdom of God, uh, we can think of the story of God. And when we live in the story of God, we are just doing life the way that Jesus invites us to when we follow him. And so it's a whole different reality than the kingdom of this world that we live in. It's a whole different way of doing things uh, than my own personal kingdom would be. Jesus says, leave the kingdom of the world behind. Leave the kingdom that you yourself would try to design behind Follow me and do life in the kingdom of God. And this kingdom uh, is an amazing thing because um, it, it means that you and I, when we decide to follow Jesus, we leave behind the kingdoms of this world approaches. We move into the kingdom of God approaches, which affects everything, right? Living in the kingdom of God affects how we do relationships, um, it affects how we do politics. It affects how we do family. It affects how we do church. It's intended to impact and really subvert every other kingdom because the kingdom of God is the kingdom that Jesus invites us to, which is counter to all other kingdoms. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, verse 18. And it's a story. It's actually two really short parables that Jesus tells, and that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. Verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven or yeast um, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, these two short stories, again, you know, a lot of times Jesus told these stories and his followers were like, huh, just scratched their heads like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? How, what does that have to do with the kingdom of God, uh, mustard seeds and, 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 and yeast in a dough um, ball? What, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, these two little stories here actually tell us a lot about what the kingdom of God, the story of God, is like. And ultimately, these two little stories right here, they smell like hope. They smell like hope, and it smells like our hope in God's kingdom, our hope in turning our attention to and putting our hopes in God's story, his way. Um, this is the way things work in the kingdom of God, and the story of God, Jesus is saying, it's, it's like this. It works like this. It's like a mustard seed, um, and it's like yeast in the dough. And again, we could look at these verses and think, well, what does that have to do with real life, right? What in the world does that have to do with real life? So let me start off with a question this morning. Does anybody here have any worries or concerns in your life? Anybody? Don't worry. We're not going to make you say my life, right? Anyone? Okay, some of us, just a few of us. 
Um, I, I, you know, just off the top of my head, um, I've been dealing with some health stuff kind of off and on, and like a lot of people are sick right now too, so that's always a, a fun one. Um, I'm also, Jim and I both started a seminary, and so that puts a whole different taxing on our time and where we put our time and where we juggle and shift and move things. And um, that's a little stressful because this is a really exciting time here at Hope. It's a crucial time here at Hope. And so sometimes uh, I know we both feel some pressure to figure out how to balance and do it all. And so there are some concerns. There are some worries right there. Um, But God keeps coming back to me with this message that he often uh, speaks a version of to me when I get into stressful seasons of life. And it sounds something like this. Uh, I often sense, like I am right now, God speaking to me, Doug, listen, I don't want you to try to escape or run away or get out of situations like this. I don't want, to, I don't want you to escape, through, uh, escape from ministry um, or, or try to just, you know, revamp your life. Um, and Doug, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe it's going to work out wonderfully. Uh, maybe it's going to be difficult. Maybe it's going to be painful. Maybe you'll really mess some things up. But Doug, I want you to remember in the scheme of things, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter because I love you and I'll love you no matter what and I'm going to grow you and all will be well. I hear him saying everything, all will be well. Everything's going to be okay. Doug, you can live loved. And even as I was looking at and kind of re-journaling out those words, I had a sense that that was God's word to us as a people here at Hope too. Because some of you are carrying things and maybe even as a church, Um, I just felt like I had the sense that that God wants to say to us as a people, all will be well. I've got you covered. I've got you protected. He's saying to us, he's reminding us of what is true. So friends, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what the, the score is of the game you're playing in life, no matter if you feel like you're winning or losing, if you feel like you're the hero or the goat at the moment, um, it's God who's at work. He is at work and he doesn't want you to lose a single ounce of energy over, over worry or fear or anxiety. See, all will be well because God is at work, really. That's how his kingdom works. And his kingdom, even though it started really small from a very unlikely source, um, like yeast, like a mustard seed, his kingdom is spreading and evil will one day be overcome. And the truth is, friends, that the that God's way, his kingdom, his community will advance and flourish and all of creation will be redeemed. That's the reality of life in the kingdom. Now, when Jesus came, he wanted to explain this reality a little bit. So he uses these two stories we looked at here, one of the mustard seed, one of of yeast. And and I think, again, I think he tells these stories, like I mentioned, really for one reason, to, to give us hope. Um, to bring us hope because we can often be tempted to live in despair when we're not sure what's coming next. Uh, And and living without hope is a very difficult thing. The writer of Proverbs put it this way. He said, I think this is one of the most profound of the Proverbs. Uh, In Proverbs 13, "Hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred Makes the heart sick. Anybody here ever have a hope deferred? Anything ever? You're like, oh, man. Hope deferred. I I mean, uh, I can remember one. Uh, When I was uh, a young boy, uh, I was super skinny. It stayed with me for a long time. I know it's hard to believe. Um, I got into high school, and I was short, 
shorter than I am now, and I weighed 110 pounds. Like, but I had hopes, right? I had big hopes, right? I uh, remember as a little kid, anybody remember the cartoon Popeye? Right? right, there you go. What were you supposed to do? Yes, you eat your spinach, right? Eat your spinach, it's gonna make you strong, and it'll put massive amounts of hair on your chest. So, now some of you are probably wondering, like, are those two qualities even desirable, right? But you need to understand, like, I grew up in Minnesota, lots of us Irish and Germans up there. And listen, all Irish want those qualities, okay? Even the women, so. <laughs> I've been holding that joke for a while. Um, but I pinned all my hopes, well, not all my hopes, but, you know, on, on spinach, I thought, hey, this, is, this might work, right? If I just start eating spinach... Um, and go for it, and, and we didn't have a lot of spinach at our house, and it was canned spinach. I didn't even know you could get the, the, the fresh variety until much later in life, right? Uh, but I ate spinach every chance that I got, and, uh, you know, many, many years later, I, you know, eat lots of spinach, and hey, it worked. I've gained 120 pounds, right? <laughs> Might want to cut back on my spinach intake. Uh. <clears throat> but here's the deal with, with hoping for something. The issue's not like, hey, I just want to be a more hopeful or optimistic person, even though those things are good. Um, I think the issue is this. When we look at hope, the question we want to ask is, what are we hoping for? And are we putting our hope in the right story? What are we hoping for? And is our hope in the right story, the right kingdom? And Jesus comes to earth and says, put your hopes in the kingdom of God. Put your hopes in God's story, his, his reality, his plan, his way for this universe, because one day it will prevail. It will prevail. And to help people see that, he would tell these stories. And again, I love these two little stories that we just read. The primary point in each of the two stories we read a minute ago uh, was really a tremendous contrast, right? And first he talks about this mustard seed. In fact, if you're on this side of the row, no matter how far, you're going to have to go all the way down. Reach underneath, there's a little cup. Go ahead, Juliana. You model it for everybody. All the way on the end chair. End chair on each one. Take a mustard seed and then just pass it down. You know, you're going to have to get up, Andy, and walk it across the aisle. You guys do, right? And just, just pass it all the way down. There's one at the end of each row. And in the middle back, there's one in the middle back there because you guys have an, are an extra row. Um, so if you will reach under that chair behind the guy behind Jackie. There you go. Chris will help out. And just take one out. Just take one out of the tray. Just go ahead and take one and just keep it in your hand. Now, the mustard seed uh, was kind of a wonder, I think, in the day of Jesus because it was so tiny. Um, one, one place that I read said that a mustard seed um, is often only 139, no, 39 one-thousandths of an inch across, right? right? So think about how little, I mean, you've got one in your hand, right? this barely visible, this tiny little thing, and if you drop it, you're not gonna find it. Uh, it's gone, right? But when you take that little thing that you can barely see, these little mustard seeds here, you take a mustard seed, and then you plant it in the ground, and you surround it by you know, nutrients, um, the right soil, enough water, and from this tiny, look at the, look at the thing in your hand, right? That tiny little seed. Uh, you could have a flourishing plant that was often called even a tree um, because it was so big and so big that you could have birds that enjoyed it for housing and, and food. And I mean, just think about that. Like if you didn't know how it worked to plant things, 
to ancient people, wouldn't it just seem like magic, right? You'd see the seed and you'd go, whoa, this big tree I'm looking at here, this big plant came from one tiny little seed? And sometimes in just one season? Sure, Jesus says. Just take that seed, you put it in the ground. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Small beginnings, unlikely source, irresistible growth. Once that seed is in the ground, it's a done deal. The outcome is inevitable. No matter how small, no matter how unlikely the seed, once it's in the ground, it's just a matter of time. See, it's a reality in the kingdom of God as well. Then he moves to another story. It's, this one's a baking analogy, and it's a picture of a woman. She's baking bread, and it's not leavened yet, right? They haven't put the yeast in it. Um, unleavened bread, anybody know what it's like? Right? It's like that cracker, really. It's, it's dry. It's, it, it can get a little hard. Um, and so what she does to the dough before baking is she puts in just a little yeast. Now, how yeast works is, again, when that takes place, there's a chemical process, and it fills the dough with thousands of, well, millions probably, of little carbon dioxide air bubbles. And as that expands, then the whole loaf begins to rise. It begins to rise. And and then, what I love, kind of like we're smelling the barbecue, right? Uh, The whole house is filled with the aroma of fresh bread. Now, what's kind of striking, and and sometimes we lose this in, in in the text on the scripture of these things, when Jesus is telling the story He's talking about a large amount of bread. Like we hear the story and we think, oh yeah, she's making a loaf or two of bread right here. But he says that she uses three measures of flour, which is 128 cups, right? 16 of the five pound bags, 16 of those bags. That's how much flour she's using, right? And then I guess you add like 42 or so cups of water that you'd need. uh, And you'd end up with a little more than 101 pounds of dough. She's making enough bread for our church. It's too bad she didn't come to the barbecue today. But, and in this huge amount of dough, um, Jesus' listeners, if they didn't know better, especially maybe some of the men, right, uh, would be like, hey, this little bit of yeast is gonna, is gonna make that whole thing rise. This 101 pounds of dough, just putting a little yeast in it, that, something that small, something that insignificant really could make that kind of difference. Sure, Jesus says, just put a little lump of yeast into the vat of dough, and once you do that, it's just a matter of time. In fact, the word that Jesus used when he tells this story, um, most translations use the word mixed, saying the woman mixed the yeast into the dough, but it's actually the word to hide something. So Jesus is saying the woman hides the yeast in the dough. You can't even see it. You're not going to be able to go and get it back out. Now, I think he used that word that she hides it. I think he did that on purpose. I think there was some meaning behind that. I think that Jesus is saying the way that the kingdom works is not always immediately recognizable to everybody. There's something hidden about the kingdom of God. It doesn't come in the way that you'd expect it to. No, no, it's it's small beginnings, unlikely source, but irresistible growth. So no matter how small or big the 
the lump of yeast is, no matter how huge the amount of dough is, once that leaven is in the dough, the game's over, the outcome's inevitable, it's just a matter of time. Now, think about the people that Jesus is telling this story to, because they suffer from disappointment, just like you and I, uh, but especially, I think, they suffer from some political and spiritual disappointment. You just think about the people that Jesus is telling this story to, the people of God, the Jews, they had been hoping that God would act for centuries. In fact, you read the whole Old Testament, and it really is, the Old Testament's a story of hope, because the people know when things aren't good, that that's not the way that it's supposed to be, right? I mean, just read through the stories of the Old Testament, and no matter how dark or desperate it got, people would always have an opportunity from God to find a place to hold on to hope. But eventually, in the Old Testament story, the the people of Israel lost it all. All their power was gone. All their dignity was gone. They felt forsaken. They were conquered by cruel and vicious nations. They were devastated. But a word of hope came through a discouraged preacher named Jeremiah, to whom no one would listen. But God sends this message to his hopeless people. He says this, for surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future with hope. And so they hang on. This is still the Old Testament. They're hanging on, right? They wait hundreds of years more after this Jeremiah prophecy for the story to finally turn around. Like they were hoping for a big kingdom. They hoped for a powerful king. They hoped for mighty armies. They hoped for the destruction of their enemies, the overthrow of Rome. That's what they were hoping and waiting for when they were waiting for a Messiah. They wanted to be a superpower again. And in Mark 1, we read that Jesus comes and he says these words that they have been waiting and waiting for all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden, Jesus comes and says what's on the screen here. It says, the kingdom of God is near. It's within your reach. The redemption of human society and of creation to live in the kingdom of God is now available to ordinary men and women. Uh, Folks, what you've been waiting for for all these centuries, it's arrived. This is it, people. And so, I mean, look at the stories in the gospel. People get excited especially in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, they get really excited. Some of them, like, leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Many of them forsake it all because they want to watch closely. They want to be there. They want to see what's going to happen next because if the kingdom of God has truly come to earth, like, their hopes are way up. But in those three years, with their hopes way up, hoping in something... What they see is this nomadic, traveling rabbi, a ragtag, definitely a ragtag, you know, group of disciples. They see some teaching, some pretty cool healing that goes on. But that's about it. Like, that's about it. Like, Jesus doesn't claim the crown. He doesn't build a great organization. He never calls an army. He never marches on Rome. He never even meets the emperor. Jesus is subversive, and he challenges all other kingdoms, but he never politically takes over. And Jesus knows, right? People are watching. They're watching him. They're wondering. They have this expectation, what they're hoping in. 
And he knows they're thinking, what, what, Jesus, this is it? Like we had such high hopes. We were gonna triumph over our enemies. We were gonna see the name of God vindicated. We were gonna see the evildoers crushed. But, but Jesus, this is it? This is the kingdom of God? And even John the Baptist was confused. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin who baptized him, saw the spirit, I mean, like he knew who Jesus was, but he's confused. In Matthew 11, verse three, John was in prison. When he heard what the Messiah was doing, he sent word to his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Hey, Jesus, are you the one that's to come or should we wait for somebody else, <laughs> right? It's like John the Baptist is saying, this is it? Like, this is it? And so Jesus says the same thing to him that he says to you and to me. And essentially, Jesus is saying, Don't be confused, don't be misled, don't be discouraged, not for a moment, because the kingdom of God has invaded this earth. And right now, it looks about the size of a mustard seed. (laughs) A little mustard seed. But the story of God, the kingdom of God is here in Jesus. And you can follow Jesus into a new way of living that will revolutionize your life and your story even though it looks really small right now. See, the kingdom of God did come to earth. And imagine when Jesus was born, the kingdom came as a helpless infant laid in a crude little manger located in the stable of a humble inn in a hick town called Bethlehem in an obscure outpost of the Roman Empire that Caesar probably didn't even know that he controlled. Looks pretty insignificant, Jesus might say. But folks, once the seed is in the ground, It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. See, once the yeast is in the dough, the bread can't help but rise. You can't stop it, so don't get discouraged now. Whatever you do, don't quit now. Don't give in to fear because the seed's in the ground, the yeast is in the dough, and evil will be overthrown and the curse will be overcome and guilt and sin and death will be destroyed. God's community will flourish. Get your hopes up, Jesus says. It's just a matter of time. Which begs a pretty good question. If we're honest, we would want to know, you know, okay, Jesus, how much time? (laughs) And the answer is, I don't know. See, that's the hard part, right, isn't it? Um, It's not bread yet. We're still in the hoping phrase. The phase that we are in is still the phase of hope. It's still, it's not quite bread, right? And hoping is not easy in this world. But hope waits patiently. Anybody here enjoy waiting patiently? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And hope waits patiently because even though this sometimes sounds like a cheap cliche, I think it's actually true. Um, Hope waits patiently because God's timing is not the same as our timing. Right? Let's be honest, though. Like, personally, I would like that mustard right now, okay? I want my gray poupon, you know, bring it. Um, Thank you very much. Um, But no, no, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at work. You're going to have to wait patiently. And so the question for us is, will we do that? It's hard for us, but will we do it? So let me just ask you um, a question to ponder for a moment before we continue the message, here's a question. Where's an area in your life where you need to hold on to hope 
by practicing patience. Don't worry, we're not going to ask you to share it with anybody. Let's just take a moment in silence, just you and God, and, and kind of locate that before we move on with the message. Where is an area in your life where you need to hold on to hope by practicing patience? You know, it occurs to me that some of us have maybe the place we need to hold on to hope. We've been, some of us may have been wrestling with sin in a particular area of our life for years. And maybe we pray and we seek help and then we slip again. And maybe you're tempted to quit because you didn't, you know, become perfect overnight. Um, you're tempted to give in to despair or self-pity or just go, fine, I'm going to give in and just not even try anymore. But will you? Say now. Will we say now? I'm in a battle with sin one slope at a time, one step at a time, and I will hope patiently. Maybe some of us are dissatisfied with our work. Maybe we've been praying about it too, like I can't stand my job, and we're praying about it, and we've been thinking, oh my gosh, nothing's happening, even though I've been praying for this for like two days already, and, and you know, when's something going to happen? God. Maybe we're ready to quit praying about that or some other stuff in our life. But will we pray with patience? Like sometimes God calls us to pray for a long time for some of this. And we don't always know why. John Orberg says this, as a general rule, the process of developing character, which is what God is up to in our lives, this process of developing character, it takes time because God will treat us as human beings. He will allow us to participate and be involved in the growth process, which means it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. Then he says this, enabling us to endure, which is what God is into, takes time. So will we wait patiently? Will we trust that in God's kingdom, in his story, ultimately all will be set right because the future's not in your hands and it's not in my hands It's God's project, and he fully intends to see it through. So will we be patient because hope means waiting patiently? Another thought I had about this hope piece here is uh, hope also means, living in hope um, means refusing to give in to fear. Like hope doesn't just give in to fear and quit. And we live most of our lives between hope and fear, don't we? Like sometimes I go from one to the other so quickly, yeah? But the truth is, all of human life is lived between hope and fear. We live between hope and fear. Like if things go really well, there's this promising job opportunity or a possible relationship, I'm filled with hope. But then if things go badly, there's possibility of bad news about a health or money or a relationship, and I am seized with fear. Real estate market's up, I'm filled with hope. If it drops, I'm filled with fear. Like we go back and forth, don't we? But friends, in the Bible, hope wins. Hope always wins. In Scripture, what enables the characters in Scripture, in the story of God, to endure and to overcome fear is not false bravado, it's not courage, it's not the belief in their own willpower, their own striving, their own persistence. No, no, what enables them to endure is hope. 
Hebrews 16, I'm sorry, Hebrews 6, verse 19 says, we have this hope. This is the hope in Christ and the kingdom of God, right? We have this hope, which is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's what hope is. It's an anchor of the soul. Hope is an anchor that will not be moved in the face of fear. And to the people that follow Jesus into the kingdom of God, that hope is available to them, to us. I mean, again, think of the scripture stories that we read, and it's not always bright and shiny. We looked a few weeks ago at the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll just put the verse on the screen here that that it didn't always go the way they hoped for. But look at that last verse, the last sentence at the bottom of the screen. Let's read that out loud together. Despite their hardships, none of them received. Wow, none of them, despite all their hardships, right? They never saw the fulfillment of what they hoped for. And so you wonder what what enabled them to keep going. What enabled them to keep going? And I believe it was because they were convinced that the seed was in the ground, that the yeast was already in the dough, and maybe they won't see the fulfillment of their hopes today. Maybe they won't see the fulfillment of their hopes tomorrow. In fact, some of them went their whole lives without seeing it, but we can't quit now, I think they would say to us, because it's just a matter of time. See, in God's kingdom, his story, living his way, hope is possible when we cling to Jesus. When we cling to Jesus, we trust that he's at work. We trust he's making a way. Romans 8 says that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. And so if it's not good yet, he's still working it out. Now, does that sound, does that sound too good to be true? Well, according to Jesus, we can cling to God and trust that God is at work because it's just a matter of time, right? Small beginnings, unlikely source, irresistible growth. Once that seed is in the ground, the contest is over. Once the yeast is in the dough, you can't stop it. The outcome becomes inevitable. Well, there are modern day heroes. There's the heroes all through scripture, but there are modern day heroes that cling to hope. And in his book, Love Beyond Reason, Ortberg tells this real life story about a friend of his. Her name was Sandy. Sandy was raised in the church. Her uh, father was the pastor of the church that she grew up in. She graduated from a Christian college. She became a pediatric nurse. She married a fine young Christian man. Four months, I'm sorry, four years later, two months pregnant with her first child, Her husband told her he felt trapped. He wasn't sure he was ready for this. Two months later, she became very ill. While she was staying at her sister's, her husband left, and she kept praying for her husband to come home like the prodigal son that would return. But then pretty soon she found out that her husband had been unfaithful, and uh, not only that, contracted a sexually transmitted disease and passed that on to her. And when the baby was born, her father's one gift to her was this disease that she passed on so that at the moment of delivery, when this baby's supposed to be, you know, screaming and crying, this baby instead was silent. When a baby is supposed to be pink and wiggling all around, this baby was blue and limbs just hung limp. And that baby named 
was named Rachel. She was born with only a brainstem and no brain to carry on the most basic functions of life. The doctors told Sandy that uh, Rachel would only live days, maybe weeks. But weeks became months and months became years, and Sandy's whole life consisted of working 12 hours a day in her shift while her friend or a sister watched Rachel then coming home and caring for her child. And you'll wonder for someone like that, what kind of hopes could she cling to? She didn't have the kind of hopes that most of us parents have. She didn't have the hope that one day she would video Rachel toddling off to her first day of school. There'd be no report cards, no homemade valentines, no baking cookies together, no taking her for her driver's license test, no walking her down the aisle. Uh, Sandy didn't have even the smallest hope of ever seeing her daughter take her first step or for her daughter's chubby little fingers to wrap around her hand or or to hear her daughter laugh, or hear the phrase, I love you, or even the syllables, mommy. Sandy said that she could never even tell if Rachel knew who her mother was. And the only time Rachel seemed to respond to anything at all was during her baths. Sandy would wash her and rub her back, and when she would do that, Rachel would give a low cooing sound, kind of sounding like she was sort of contented. One day, Sandy decided she was going to take a vacation. It would be her first one in three years, um, these three years that Rachel had been alive. And while she was on vacation, she'd call home every day, talk to her sister, check in. And one day, um, her sister held the phone up to Rachel's ear while Sandy talked on the phone. And then the sister grabbed the phone back and said, when Rachel heard Sandy's voice, she started to coo, to do that low cooing sound, which was her only indication that maybe her daughter knew who her mother was. Sandy landed at the airport at the end of her vacation. Her brother-in-law met her with the words. Sandy somehow knew that he would say, which was that Rachel had died while she was gone. Rachel's father never came to the funeral never asked about his daughter, never said, I'm sorry. It took six years before Sandy could even bring herself to read the journals that she had kept during Rachel's life, and most of the pages just asked why. But if you were to ask Sandy what sustained her through this, she would not say it was optimism about medical progress or the way things might turn out physically. It wasn't what the doctors might be able to do, that's not what sustained her. What sustained her was Christian hope. And so what is Christian hope? What is kingdom hope? Kingdom hope, my friends. <laughs> kingdom hope says that flawed DNA will not be allowed to have the last word. Not in God's kingdom, not in God's story. (laughs) Kingdom hope says that one day, Rachel and Sandy will be seated at a table where they will know each other and be fully known. Kingdom hope says that one day around that table, that, that words of wonder and gratitude and affection and love that Rachel could not speak here will flow ceaselessly there. 
Kingdom hope says that limp, limbs that, that hung limp and useless in this world will one day define grace and beauty in the next one. Kingdom hope says that where the mind was cheated her here, one day that mind will flourish in endless creativity and sparkling intelligence. Kingdom hope says that the one who does reconstructive surgery on his children is not finished Yet, and friends, the day will come when a short-lived, little-noticed, obscure, damaged child in this world, in this kingdom, will dazzle through the ages with a glory that we cannot comprehend. Kingdom hope says it's just a matter of time. Because, friends, kingdom hope never, ever gives up. Worship team, will you come? Friends, some of you here, I know, in your life, in your story, you've been deeply disappointed. You had high hopes and things did not turn out the way that you wanted. And honestly, let's not pretend maybe they never will. Maybe you had dreams that changed the world, but you feel like you haven't had much of an impact so far. Or maybe you had dreams of having this amazing vocational impact, a a job that would just be a gift to so many people, but then things turned out much smaller than you had hoped. Maybe you had great dreams of of a marriage with wonderful intimacy and love, but then you never got married, or your marriage ended, or you are still married, but it has been a painful and difficult relationship. Maybe you had dreams of having children one day and what that relationship would be like, but then you had no children at all. Or the children that you have had, maybe that relationship's been very hard, very painful. Maybe you had all kinds of dreams and your dreams have been dashed because of health or circumstances or maybe somebody that you love or somebody that you had dreams for, they're dreams were dashed. Maybe somebody you love has died. Maybe you've given your life to other people only to have them stab you in the back and exclude you and judge you and gossip about you. Wherever your disappointment is at, my friend, Jesus understands all about broken dreams. When he was crucified, imagine his followers, the confusion in that moment on the cross Their dreams were crucified, they thought, with him. Wow, some kingdom. They thought it was over. But it wasn't. Because the truth is that when they laid the body of Jesus in the ground, they were just putting the seed in the soil. They were just putting the yeast in the dough. And from that point on, friends, it was just a matter of time. See, that's how it works in God's story, in his kingdom, in his reality. No matter where you're at today, his promises never fail. He is working for our good, even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it. And friends, this is kingdom hope that one day, 
Every wrong will be set right. Every tear will be dried. Every suffering that you've encountered will be redeemed. And so Jesus says, even through these little stories we read today, get your hopes up, people. It's just a matter of time. I want you to take that mustard seed, if you can find it. I just want you to put it in your palm of your hand, and I just want you to look at it as I pray. Father, so many of us have so much that we have hoped for. And some of our dreams feel like they are not going to happen. Some of us have given up on our dreams. Maybe some of us have decided that you, God, are unfair, that you don't care. But God, I pray even right now, even as we look at these little mustard seeds, so much smaller than we can imagine for what we had dreamed or hoped for in the situations of our lives. Will you help us to give our lives to you and your kingdom, to trust that as we follow you into your story, you will not disappoint us, that we really can put our hopes and our trust in you. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you are trustworthy. And because you are at work, it's just a matter of